live and pre-recorded. This is the Red Ticket Blues Podcast. I am Brian Buckley. This is being recorded on October 31st to hit the internet on October 31st. You can always listen to the show on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, YouTube, and follow me at BrianBuck13 and the show at Red Ticket Blues on Twitter. Uh, this audio may sound a little different as I am on the road and don't have my normal equipment, but it was a special on-the-road edition with a special guest, special all-around was able to talk to Sam Mellinger of the Kansas City Star. He also contributes um, to the KansasCity.com, and he's out there in New York with the Royals, and we went over the Royals season and everything that's transpired in the World Series. So everyone, take a listen. Hope you enjoy. So as promised, Sam Mellinger, columnist with the Kansas City Star and KansasCity.com. Uh, Sam, uh, welcome to the Red Ticket Blues podcast. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. Thanks. Uh, real quick here, you've been with the Star for 15 years now. To listeners that aren't really familiar with Kansas City and the surrounding area, what would you say the best part of your job uh, is in that area? What 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 makes you want to be a sports columnist in that area? Specifically, Kansas City. Um, well, I, I grew up in the area. Um, I grew up in a small town about an hour and a half south of Kansas City and then um, was born there, actually, and then grew up in a not so small town just outside of Kansas City. And so um it's home, you know. Um I got a lot of friends and family in the area. I I I feel like I, I, I get sports in Kansas City. I feel like I understand um the dynamics between fans and the teams and um you know most of that is, is pretty terrible. You know, like most of it is, is teams that just aren't very good, you know, and um but I I do think it's it's fun and it's interesting to to know like the dynamics between you know, why Chiefs fans, why the first thing that they scream about when the Chiefs start to suck is the owner. Like, <laughs> I get that. I, I understand, like, why some people still um, complain that David Glass is a, you know, cheapskate when that used to be true, but it hasn't been true for a while. I understand, like, the dynamics between KU fans and Missouri fans and KU fans and K-State fans and all that. So it's just... Um, it, it's a really good spot for me. It's it's fun. Um, I enjoy it, man. I, I feel like I'm lucky to have the job. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's it's got to be sort of a dream come true sort of thing where you you grow up somewhere and you, and you get to do what you want to do in that area. So you're a very lucky man in that sense. Um, quickly looking back at last year, um, me, I like many people thought the Royals run was you know was cute, maybe even fluky to a certain extent. Uh, but obviously they they've proven naysayers, including myself. They've shoved it in my face wrong. So when when Game Seven ended last year, you know Alex scored ninety feet away. Did you honestly think they'd be in this situation again this year in the World Series? No, I think it would be better than it seems like a lot of the preseason predictions are, and and also like I just sort of like I, I think a lot of times we put way too much into preseason predictions. Like everybody's just guessing, and and I would think that I would certainly feel like this, but I would think that if you asked you know, everybody, like all these, you know, quote-unquote experts, whatever, like, you know, how confident are you in in your prediction? I bet most of them are going to say not even a little bit, you right. know. Um, but I, I thought that before the year, I thought the Royals would finish uh, second or third in their division. Um, I, I actually thought that Cleveland would win the division. Um, so did I, actually. I thought it would, I, yeah, yeah. And I, I thought, like, it would be too, between the – Royals and Tigers. I just I felt like the Tigers were going to get old at some point, and I just didn't know if that would be this year or next year. But anyway, um, 
they have been better than I expected. I, I thought that losing James Shields would be a bigger deal. Not so much his production. Um, I mean, he was a good pitcher. He wasn't great, but, um, you know, just the innings. And I, I thought they would have a really hard time replacing a quantity of quality innings, if that makes sense. No, that makes makes perfect um, sense. Yeah, and I, I didn't know if the bullpen would be – I thought it would be good, but I didn't know that Wade Davis could be, like, you know, in a lot of ways even better than he was – last year and you know Lorenzo Cain had some markers for um you know regression although I thought some of that was overrated but um I didn't think Mike Misakis would be this good um that's probably the biggest one I didn't think Kendrick Morehouse would be I thought he'd be good but not this good um so they just they everything that could have gone either way for them um I, I feel like really swung in the positive with the exception of Omar Infante was just as terrible as he was last year. Alex Rios wasn't very good until the very end of the season. Um, I'll see Escobar had a terrible year at the plate. Um, but for the most part, like everything that could have gone either way uh, went the Royals' way. That's, you know, that's how you have the best record in the American League. Yeah, so, I mean, the, all the positives that you pointed out there. I mean, so, you know, the first World Series game en- encompassed for, you know, lack of a better term, the never-say-die attitude in the 5-4 epic game. Uh where does that fire come from on the Royals team to that, that never-quit attitude? Is there an emotional leader that stands out from the rest, or is it just sort of a unified charge? They cast them all are, actually. Like they, I mean, uh, Moustakis is probably the most, like, sort of demonstrative, I guess. But, um, you know, Eric Hosmer is like that. Um, Lorenzo Cain is like that, at least when the game starts. When the game's not going on, you just you would never guess that this guy's a professional athlete. Um, but they have, they just, I think a lot of it too is that, um, and, and keep in mind, like, I, I really strongly believe nine times out of ten that, like, clubhouse chemistry and that kind of stuff is very much overrated. Um, but I think the Royals, in a lot of ways, are the exception. And I think that some of that comes from, uh, most of these guys were, like, I don't know about most, but the, the core, like Moustakis, um, Hasma, Perez, um, you know, these guys like came up through the minor leagues together, so like they have memories of um, you know, winning championships in double A and winning championships in triple A and, you know, crappy pressure rights to whatever. And um they like legitimately like each other and I, I I really feel like one of the biggest um misconceptions that a lot of I don't know about most, I'm not gonna say most, but that some fans have is that guys the teammates in professional sports just really like each other. And I think that's not true a lot of the time. And, um, but it is true here and they genuinely like each other. I mean, they hang out, um, outside the clubhouse and, and some of them, you know, I think vacation together and things like that. I mean, they, they genuinely like care for each other. And I know it sounds corny and usually it is, but I, I do think that it matters with this group. No, it totally makes sense. I mean, a lot of the, uh, you know, professional teams nowadays, they're, they're not like they were 30, 40 years ago. A lot of, uh, you know, money is a certain issue. They're, the guys just don't hang out. They have their own brand that they want to, you know, accentuate outside of the clubhouse. So they're in their own individual. So it is refreshing to see a team like the Royals where they, they, they bond together and they can, you know, do things together. Uh, so that that makes it's not corny at all, I don't think. Um, so now game two and game three pitchers for the Royals are perfect examples of when uh, New York New York Yankees radio announcer John Sterling always loves to say you can't predict baseball. So Johnny right. Cueto and Jordano Ventura are pretty hard to figure out. I mean, they pitch gems sure. one day, and then they give up 
eight runs the next day. How I mean, I, and I understand Cueto came with a midseason trade, but how frustrating is it to watch these guys pitch day in and day out to the season, and then see them do the same thing in the World Series? Yeah, I mean, I think like the general feeling amongst Royals fans would be that um, that Cueto is more frustrating than Ventura, just because. I mean, Ventura is a different kind of frustrating because he just he pitches like a punk a lot of times, um, and maybe that's not fair because he hasn't. He kind of left that in April, May, and June when you know he cited four different bench cleaners and get one. Right. Um, but I, some of that is like he's a second-year baseball player, you know, and so I, I think with him you kind of accept peaks and valleys a little bit more. It's still frustrating. I'm not trying to say it's not, but right. you can sort of there's there's logic behind it with Cueto. Um, you know, that was supposed to be the move, you know what I mean? Like, they, they, the Royals had this really complete team, and the one thing they were really missing was, you know, just sort of this badass starter at the top of the rotation. And they thought that that was Johnny Cueto in the trade form. And um, he had some really good starts when he first got there, and then was just absolutely horrendous for five straight starts. Uh, I mean, just terrible. And... Um, had never had a stretch like this in his career. And I think that the frustration with Plato comes from, you know, we gave up these prospects um, for you to be the guy, and now you're not the guy. And not only are you not the guy, um, but sometimes it doesn't seem <clears throat> like he cares. And a lot of that is probably unfair. It's just kind of like his personality or whatever. Um, but I, I also think that the frustration, at least from my uh, I don't want to project this on the Rose fans. My frustration with him is that he just seems to be like this never-ending spout of excuses when he doesn't do well. Uh, it's really strange for a guy with the track record that he has. Like for you know, after that terrible five-star stretch, it was that Sal Perez, the, the catcher, you know, wasn't holding his target low enough. Like Johnny Cueto needed a very low target, and um, so then. Perez was like, okay, I'll have a little target. And the results were a little bit better, but he was still giving up too, too many base runners. And then, um, you know, like in Toronto, um, when he was, I mean, literally, he was historically bad. He got six outs, he gave up eight runs. And in like a hundred and some years of baseball history, I think only two guys had ever done that in the playoffs. And, um, and then after that game, he said that the bullpen mound was either higher or lower than the game mound. Oh, God, I didn't even hear that comment. about the strike zone. Yeah, it was just, like, really, like, come on, like, you're yeah. an adult, you know? And um, But I did think that the Royals did um, a very smart thing, um, having him pitch game two, which meant that uh, he would pitch potential game six. And that means that's the only spot – in the playoff rotation, obviously, where you pitch both games at home. And mm -hmm. I think that that was really smart of me because I think the excuse that Johnny Cueto did not use is the one that I think is true, that he just got rattled in Toronto. Yeah. And I think the crowd got in his head. And I would have thought that anyway, but then, you know, obviously what happened when he was um, with Cincinnati and they, they played that uh, the wild card game in Pittsburgh and he literally dropped the ball when they were chanting his name. I, I think that's... I think that was the deal, which is a huge red flag to me if you're a team that's going to bid on Johnny Cueto's services this winter. But I don't think the Royals will be that team, so I don't think they're worried about that. So last night, I mean, uh, Ventura, he looked a little lost. Uh, I forgot to, yeah. forgot to cover first base. There was a sudden drop in velocity. Uh, I mean, 
was it the weather, or the the stage combination of both? I mean, you may not have a crystal ball and know the exact answer, but uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so um, he's hard to get like introspection from. Um, he uses a translator, and and you know, even if he didn't use a translator, I just don't think he'd be that guy that would you know really open up even a little bit. But um, he said he felt great, and he didn't know why the velocity was down. And um, I asked Ned if there's anything mechanical that, that he thought he said he did not. So they're saying there's nothing physical or mechanical. Um, and they might be lying about the physical. I think we have to, you know, um, allow for that possibility. But um, to me, the most logical explanation, again, is was the stage. Like you mentioned, that um, I, I think he got kind of freaked out. And um, I, I think that this happened to him a little bit during the regular season, like after all of the, you know, the thing with the White Sox, the thing with the A's, the thing with the Angels, um, and there's another one that I'm forgetting right now. But, like, you know, the, Yodano Ventura started these, like, bench clearings um, in April and May, and it really took over, like, the conversation around the Royals. And after that, he kind of, I don't want to say he got scared. That's not the word that I want to use, but it was sort of like that he kind of went into a shell and he didn't know exactly how to pitch and he, he didn't want to like um you know be this punk anymore and um he wasn't pitching with like his usual flair and um he needs to pitch with that emotion and it's, it's a dangerous thing because it bubbles out um pretty easily but i think that's what happened to him last night i think that he kind of got into a little shell and i think that's why his philosophy was down um you know in houston alcides escobar got hit um, and I don't know if it was intentional or not, um, but he got hit by a pitch. And, um, like, the next inning, um, Ventura hit Carlos Correa, Houston shorts up stop. And I absolutely thought that that was on purpose. Um, and a lot of people didn't, but I absolutely did. And I thought it was interesting that last night in the National Park, <laughs> when he's got a bat, um, he didn't do anything. Right, After right. the guard threw it. At Escobar, and I'm not saying he should have. I'm saying what I'm saying is that it is in his track record to do that. Um, and so I just I think the stage got to a little bit. That's the most logical explanation. We may find out that he's hurt. You know, we may find that out in a week or two weeks or a month or whatever. But um, assuming he's not hurt, assuming it's not physical, I think it was mental. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to make excuses for him or anything, but uh, I, I could just imagine City Field last night, uh, the first World Series game there in, you know, 15 years, Billy Joel there, Mike Piazza throwing out the first pitch. I mean, uh, it probably could rattle anybody, like you said, even a second-year player. Uh, you brought up uh, Noah Syndergaard last night, or just now, but what did you think of the inside pitch to Escobar in the first inning? Well, okay, so I think that, um, like, first of all, I think it's really stupid that, like, baseball is this thing where, like, Alcides Escobar is... I don't know about thrown at, but that that happens just because, like, Escobar's good at his job. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't pimp anything. He didn't, like, talk trash. He didn't, like, it's just that he's really good at getting on base right now. So, like, let's throw at his head. Like, that's just a weird thing about baseball to me. But anyway, um, I didn't have a problem with with Syndergaard doing it. Like, if he hit him, I would have had a problem with it. But um, he was trying to make him uncomfortable. And I think that... Um, I totally get that in, in the strict like baseball context. I mean, I would have chosen to throw a curveball in the dirt and then enjoy being up, you know, 0-1 in the 
in the count, but um, that's the other way to do it. And I didn't have a problem with the Royals, you know, being upset about that. I just think that that's how baseball works. It's stupid. It's silly, but um, I just think that that's how baseball works. No, that makes sense. I, I look at it from a point of view where it's sort of wherever you stand. Um, uh, if you're a Royals fan, you hate it. If you're a Mets fan, it's it's right. making them feel yeah. uncomfortable. It's your classic. Depends on what side of the line you stand on play. Um, yeah. Looking forward at this point, game tonight. Uh, I mean, at this point in the season, every game is the most important game. I mean, we're in the World Series here. We have a kid in Steven Matz, who I, I realize there are younger players on the Mets, but this guy's limited starts you know, ever in his career. And, I mean, the Royals have to take advantage of this. Do you think there's any different approach Kansas City um, goes with, with him on the mound? I mean, Matz has only, I think, gone to seven innings or, or even past, yeah, seven innings once in his limited career here, uh, is any different approach, or do you think it's just business as usual? No, not really. I don't think the Royals, um, I, I think the only thing that they're doing differently is um, they watch a little bit more video, you know, and they didn't used to do that. But I don't think that they, I think they do that just to see what the guys got, um, so they, they have a better idea what's coming. But I don't think they do it in a way that, like, you know, let's get his pitch count out or anything like that. That's not, I mean, they're going to swing. You know, they're going to be aggressive and they're going to try and do the things that worked in the first two games of the series and do the things that worked, um, you know, for them to win 95 games in the regular season and, and get to the World Series, which is just, you know, put the ball in play and run like hell, basically. And, you know, they'll swing hard um, when there's nobody on base or a guy on first, uh, and they might, some of them will try and put it over the fence, but. Um, for the most part, they want to hit line drives and gaps and, and run. And I think that's that's exactly what they'll try to do. Ladies and gentlemen, he's Sam Mellinger, a sports columnist with the Kansas City Star and KansasCity.com. Follow him on Twitter at Mellinger, M-E-L-L-I-N-G-E-R. Thanks for coming on today, Sam. We really appreciate it. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. It was Sam Mellinger, the Kansas City Star, uh, out there covering the Royals in the World Series. Really want to appreciate him coming on. I can't imagine how busy he is. And it's, uh, again, very, very appreciative. You can always listen to the show on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, YouTube, and follow me at BrianBuck13 on Twitter and at Red Ticket Blues if you want to follow basically just the show. I uh, normally do this show Mondays and Thursdays, so if you're new, check it out then. For now, I'm out of here.